So let's begin, uh, and you can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We've sort of been using the first chapter of Ephesians as our outline for the in Christ section of our identity. Uh, So a few weeks ago, we talked about our, our union with Christ being really foundational to who we are as Christians. And in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul has this incredible list of what he calls um, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then he kind of begins to list off a number of the things that God has done for us to the praise of his glorious grace. Um, And so we're sort of following that outline as we think about the Christian life. So uh, there in Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, 4, we began in Christ by thinking about how he chose us um, and that that choosing, as verse 4 ends, was in love. So we talked about how we're loved uh, by the Lord. And then uh, I think two weeks ago we talked about justification, how we're justified, and that's where... Also in verse 4, it says that we should be holy and without blame. So there in your review section at the top, you've got those two statements. I am loved, and we considered that it's eternal, infinite, and perfect love from God, and we're justified. Jesus takes my sin, and I receive God's righteousness. That incredible exchange um, beyond our comprehension. Well, we come then to verse 5, where... Uh, The phrase continues that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. So tonight we're thinking about adoption and the full phrase is important, adoption as sons. Now we'll use the term children uh, and I don't mean to make things awkward in our, you know, gender confused society these days to say that we're adopted as sons. Well, let me just be clear what I mean by that, uh, what, script, what I think scripture means by that. So it doesn't mean that everyone becomes, you know, male in Christ. That's not the point. The point is that in New Testament times, when they talked about adoption, uh, Females, unfortunately, didn't have the same familial rights as the sons did. And so the inheritance went to the male, to the sons, not to the female. And so when the New Testament authors point out adoption as sons, they do so intentionally so that all readers, both male and female, understand that this adoption includes inheritance, And Paul's really clear about that here in Ephesians chapter 1. You notice verse 11. He says, in him we've also obtained an inheritance. Basically the same thing as saying adoption as sons. We inherit what God has. And then again in verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. So that adoption as sons is not so much about maleness or femaleness as it is about that the right to be an heir of God a right to his inheritance, and we'll think more about that. Now, as we think about adoption in Scripture, there's another sort of vein that we won't follow tonight, and that is that we're we're born again when we're saved. We'll talk about that in another lesson. We'll talk about new life, regeneration. And when we're born again, of course, we're born of God, and in that sense, we're children of God. Um, John talks that way a lot in, the, in, the, in 1 John, in his letter of 1 John. We're thinking tonight, we're going to spend more time thinking about that sense of adoption as sons. There really, there's really no need to make a big distinction between them. It's like splitting hairs to some degree. 
Uh, it's all connected. We're children of God, but then if you want to get more specific, we're adopted as sons, meaning we're not just children without inheritance. We are fully inheriting heirs of God, which is really pretty amazing. So all that to say, we're adopted. Uh, so you have a, a definition blank there, so we'll start with that. Adoption is the act by which God makes us members of his family. He makes us members of his family. And you could add specifically, if you want, as sons. The only reason I didn't do that is just because, you know, you could say maybe as full inheritance or full heirs, if you want to say it that way. But yeah, the, the point is um, we are in Christ. And so whatever it Christ's rights are in the family of God, so too are our rights in the family of God. You know, adoption is a fun, fun thing to think about and talk about. Uh, Many of you know the Palagumis uh, recently adopted two little ones in their family, and maybe that others of you here have gone through the process of adoption or experience that or so forth, but they're fresh in my mind. Um, we had the privilege of sort of listening in on the adoption hearing. And there was one phrase that came up in that adoption hearing that really stood out to me. And so I was talking with Sim today, trying to remember exactly how it went. And we narrowed it down to this as what we think they said. Uh, so here's a not unofficial quote. Uh, but they asked the parents this question. Do you solemnly affirm that you will nurture, care for, and love these children for the rest of your lives as if they were born to you? And so then the parents make this commitment, we will, you know, um, sort of similar terminology to like a wedding type of thing, but but with parents. And it's unique because, you know, when when you have a biological child, the doctor doesn't ask you to make a commitment like this, you know. (laughs) Uh, But it was kind of fun to hear that there with the judge asking them this question, will you commit to caring for and nurturing this child as your own as long as you live? Yes, we will. We will care for this child. And so then at that moment, you know, the judge makes the declaration and the child is welcomed into the family. And, you know, so we think of of human adoption and we sort of impose that upon God's adoption of us. But really, the first adoption is God's adoption of us. Because as Paul says here in Ephesians 1 verse 5, he predestined us to adoption. So this is something in the plan of God from eternity past, that he had predestined us to. And uh, pretty cool. God is the creator. Yeah, Jim. Under Iowa law, it's illegal to disinherit adopted hmm. children. Right. So they, you can't disinherit any kids you adopt here. Right. Just like God will never disinherit us. Exactly. It's permanent. You can't undo it, right? You can't go back and uh, appeal. You know, there's no appellate court or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, irrevocable adoption. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what God has done for us. Uh, so we're going to kind of dig into this and think through uh, what God has done for us, how ad- God's adoption of us works and so forth, and, uh, and what that means for us. So uh, let's go next to uh, Galatians chapter 3. This is one of the key texts on adoption. Uh, And so just the book before Ephesians here, Galatians chapter 3, and most of us will land there. Would one person be willing to read John 1.12 for us? Uh, So I'll send somebody, Rod, thank you, you can take John 1.12. All right, so looking at Galatians 3, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul is 
you know, we're not going to get his full argument here in the book of Galatians, but uh, he comes to this topic of adoption here at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. And he makes this statement in verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's this huge, massive statement that he makes. Wait, what? And so he'll go on and explain why, you know, why his logic is good, why it makes sense. But he just opens with this. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and so we're going to notice something about this. Let's hear uh, John 1.12 as well. Okay, so uh, two examples of how we become children of God, and specifically here sons in Galatians 3, uh, we are adopted by faith. We are adopted by faith. When we believe in His name, as John 1.12 says, or here in Galatians, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are sons of God. Um, this is where Paul will draw now a connection with Abraham. Just like with Abraham, God accounted his faith for righteousness, so too with us, God has accounted our faith for righteousness and now joined us to Christ and therefore adopted us as sons. And so that's what he goes on to explain. Notice next, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ. And so we find out that this happens by faith, but we are also adopted by union with Christ, union with Christ. And this becomes really our most foundational identification. Now, the reason he lists all of these things, Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female... It's not that those identities would just disappear. It's not that a person stopped being a Jew or stopped being a Greek or suddenly they weren't a slave any longer. No, they probably would continue to be a slave. The, the reason he's pointing all those out is that those were, those were all class distinctions. And even in their culture, you could even say value distinctions. They weren't equal. Even it was true between males and females in that day. And so his point is now you're united to Christ. And so all of those distinctions as far as your value as a person, those are done away with. Your, your family status, those all disappear. You're now sons of God united to Christ. That's the status. That's the family status that we all have, uh, which is really cool. United as sons of God. Is there any higher family status than that, right? Uh, and so he sort of wipes all these other things off the table. How you may have identified yourself before in that regard now, the big one is you're considered a son of God, uh, and that's your status. So, pretty encouraging, and it's, it takes place by our union with Christ. We are baptized into Christ, or we put on Christ, or two metaphors that he uses there to describe it. Notice then verse 29, we learn more about this adoption. He says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So whether we're Jew or Greek or, or whatever, when we're united to Christ, the Apostle Paul says we're actually Abraham's seed and we now have access to the promises of God. Well, that's pretty incredible. It's amazing. Stuff that's not ours. And so he calls us then heirs according to 
the promise, heirs according to the promise. So I am an heir of God. There's one other verse we can look at here. Um, Actually, let's see. Yeah, why don't we do that? Why don't we all go over to Romans chapter 8? I'm headed the wrong direction. Romans chapter 8, another key text on adoption here in Romans chapter 8. So if we've trusted in Christ as Savior, God has made us heirs based on the promise to Abraham that in him all nations would be blessed. So now by faith, I've been blessed. You've been blessed if you've trusted in Christ as Savior. The blessing of Abraham, righteousness by faith, has been granted to anyone who trusts in Christ as Savior. And so we're We enter into the family of God. We become heirs of God. All right, let's look at Romans 8, verse 17. This idea of being an heir of God is used again. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Now, we'll come back to that idea of suffering, but for now... Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So we're not even lesser heirs. I mean, just just grapple with that for a second. We're called joint heirs with Christ. (laughs) Co-heirs with Christ, the Son of God. Talk about the, the privilege and kindness of God in welcoming us into his family. Um, this, you know, equal status as far as inheritance with the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty incredible to think about. Now that uh, involves a couple of things, and so we'll get to the subpoints here, but just a discussion question to get us going. How does the title son of God or child of God or heir of God change the way you view yourself? Or for example, in a specific way, how would it change the way you battle sin? Okay, so let me ask those two questions again, just open for discussion. How does the title Son of God or Heir of God change the way you view yourself? And how might it specifically change the way you battle sin? Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so completely loved, fully loved. Right, yeah, yeah, so it produces that love for God in return and thankfulness for what he's done, right, excellent. Yeah, other thoughts? Yeah. Well, that's something very interesting about equal with Christ, and we can talk about that. And the way I see it is it's not like we're equal with Christ in terms of who we are, but we're equal with Christ with our relationship Right. They were not him, right? Exactly. But yeah, to have the same act, same, I like your word there, relational, relationship, right? Same kind of relationship with the Father, acts with the Father. Yeah, yeah. Position, yeah, good. So we're heirs 
Yes. Yes. And then, then the second thought, you alluded to it, Pastor, and you're going to get to it. Romans eight seventeen, God in joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. Um, I, how we deal with sin in our, in our own hearts, in my own life, I find oftentimes the greatest temptation to sin is when the alternative to sin is, is suffering. In other words, there's suffering and you look for, for earthly, fleshly, cheap comforts right. rather than true comfort that only can come from God. Right. And um, so remembering it, suffering is part of the deal. Right. Therefore, let's be Christ-like and not succumb to temptation. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. Good thoughts. So uh, as a member of the family cleaning up the house in a way that would please our Father, right? That's good. Uh, maybe you've read the little pamphlet, My Heart, Christ's Home, or I think it's something called something like that. But yeah, kind of built off that metaphor. Um, and, then, uh, and then, yeah, being prepared to suffer. So uh, let's use that to go into our next point here. So as we are heirs of God, uh, this, this sounds a little strange, but but we were co-heirs with Christ, and part of what Romans eight seventeen says that we sort of participate in with Christ is even suffering. We share in His path, which means that even on earth there will be suffering, and, and our path may even be sort of downward, so to speak, so that then God exalts as we transition to heaven. It's a similar path, you know, you remember graphing in uh, math class in high school or whatever, right? And so our, our graph curve follows the same kind of curve that Christ followed, right? So on earth, he, he humbled himself and the Father exalted him. And we're told in Philippians 2 and here in uh, Romans 8 that we too may follow the same path where there will be suffering. But that's not the end of the deal. It's suffering and glory, suffering and glory. So um, notice what the Apostle Paul says in verse 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present times are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So God uses that suffering currently to reveal his glory in our lives and in the future to more fully reveal his glory when we're with him forevermore. So it's suffering and glory uh, that come together. And those are paired in verse 17 as well as in verse 18. Uh, And he breaks that down a little bit further, how we look forward to the future. Our adoption will actually be completed down in verse 23. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So kind of like glorification... There's an aspect of our adoption that's done and sealed and, as Jim was saying, irrevocable. But there's a part of our adoption that's yet to be completed. And that's what I would call our transformation, our transformation. Our adoption as sons includes the redemption of our physical bodies. And uh, Romans 8 looks forward to that when the sons of God will be revealed. When, uh, and actually, let's, I think I have here 1 John 3 verses 1 and 2. Somebody willing to go there and uh, look at what this being a child of God results in when we see Christ as he is. 1 John 3 verses 1 and 2. Somebody willing to read those for us? Jim, thank you. Behold what manner of love the Father 
has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Right. So you get both the sense of present suffering. The world doesn't know us because they don't know him. And so there's that challenge. But you also get the future glory. When we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Right. So... Uh, our adoption includes both of those things, the, the challenge of the present day on the earth, uh, but the expectant hope of the future. And then uh, the last thing it includes uh, would be an inheritance, and uh, we've talked a little bit about that. Um, two verses here, we, we referenced Ephesians 1, so let me just read for you 1 Peter 1 verses 4 and 5. This is a passage that talks more in depth about our inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, if there wasn't enough repetition there, the idea is that that inheritance is safe. It's safe, right? The Lord keeps it incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you by the power of God. And we too are kept by his good hand. So we have that inheritance to look forward to. And uh, as Ephesians 1 reminded us, the Spirit is the guarantee of that inheritance in the future. So in no way, shape, or form is it dependent upon us. Adoption is completely of God. The gifting of His inheritance is completely of Him. It's not something we earn. It's not something we can work ourselves out of or work ourselves into. Uh, it's the kindness of God, sealed by God, guaranteed by God, kept by God, so on and so forth. And... Um, and as Romans 8 says, it far the glory of that inheritance far outweighs exceedingly abundantly any suffering we face in this life. So suffering's hard, right? But anytime you suffer, think about that inheritance. And if, if Paul can say, and he suffered, Paul gets it, right? He went through stuff. Uh, if Paul can say, in comparison to the exceeding weight of glory to come, this suffering is just a little, you know, drop in the bucket. What a testimony to the riches of that inheritance. That's hard for us to grasp here, but suffering can actually be a clue to us of how wealthy that inheritance is. So the worse your suffering is, it implies the greater that inheritance is. Does that make sense? Um, so super encouraging about God's inheritance for us and to keep our eyes fixed on that. All right, let's keep plugging along. Um, let's see here. Okay, let's keep a finger here in Romans because we'll, we're going to keep going back and forth between these two key texts in Galatians 3 and 4 and Romans 8. So we will come back to Romans, um, but for now let's pop back over to Galatians uh, four. We actually got through the end of chapter 3, so we'll be in Galatians 4. 
So next point is this uh, on, the, on your blanks there. I am released from bondage. So just notice the sense of that. We don't have time to dig into every little tidbit here in, in the beginning of Galatians chapter 4. But just notice that sense of being released from bondage through our adoption. Okay, Chapter 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under the guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, uh, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons." So the former way, as young children um, under the, the leadership of what Paul calls a school, schoolmaster, it's a, it's a metaphor for the law, uh, that was the old way. But now in Christ, we're freed from that bondage to the law because he is now our righteousness. And, uh, and we we're given adoption as sons. So there's this beautiful transition. We're free from our bondage. And now we're unified to Christ and we're sons with all the rights and privileges that come with that title. So released from bondage under the law, under our sin, under the elements of the world, as it mentions in verse 3. We were slaves before and now we are sons of God, free with rights and privileges. Pretty cool. Um, All right. Notice also in uh, Galatians 4 here, we are given something in verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So uh, because I'm adopted, I'm given his spirit. And so this is, this is part of our adoption, that God sends his spirit and the spirit testifies to the fact that I'm adopted. Okay, now, there are three things that the Spirit accomplishes. And uh, for you see part of it here, Abba, Father. We'll come back to that um, in the third sub-point here. But first, flipping back to Romans 8. Sorry for all the back and forth here. But back to Romans 8, verse 14. Paul says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So for sons of God, we're led by the Spirit of God. And so there's leading, leading by God's Spirit. That's part of the work of the Spirit in us as sons of God. There's also assurance. And you see this in verses 15 and 16 of Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, But you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Spirit testifies that we're truly adopted. God's Spirit in us, giving us access, helps to assure us. And there I gave away the third one, access. That Abba, Father, is the privilege of calling God Father, to cry out to him with our needs And it's the Spirit that gives us that access. Somebody willing to go to Ephesians 2.18 to think about that access. Carrie, thank you. 
Okay, for through Him, that's Christ, we both, in, in the context Jews and Gentiles, have access by one Spirit or in one Spirit to the Father. So it's the presence of God's Spirit as adopted sons of God that we then have access to the Father to say, Father, to actually call Him that and, and make our request to Him. Pretty amazing. Okay, so discussion question as we pause here. How does your ability to call God Father encourage you to pray? How does your ability to call God Father encourage you to pray? Raleigh. Wow, that's a good list right there, Raleigh. Excellent, yeah. He knows us. I can't repeat all of them, but yeah, he knows us, he hears us, he understands us, he listens. He, yeah, excellent. Other ideas? Come to him with anything and everything. Excellent. Other ideas? Yeah. He's always interested in what's best for us. Yeah. Always interested in what's best for us. What else? Uh-huh. Loves us no matter what we do. And I would add, even better than our earthly fathers, right? Yeah. Yeah. What else? Yeah, Jay. That's right. Yeah, you're not coming to a stranger. You're coming to your father, apt to ask him for help. Good. Other thoughts? It's great. Yeah, nothing can change that relationship. It's done, kind of like Jim was saying earlier. Okay, so follow-up question. How does the presence of God's Spirit further encourage us to talk to God as Father? What's that? There's prompting, leading, like we were talking about? Yeah, right, good. What else? Yeah, Scott. I don't think we can truly... Right. So in that way, God guides and directs us even better than any father could. Yes, yes, right. So God speaks by the very words of Scripture, and the Spirit uses those words to impress them on our hearts and lives and help us see with clarity what sins we need to you know, confess or what changes we need to make, the direction we need to go, so on and so forth. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Other ideas? Yeah, Kevin and Dave. Or Dave, go ahead. Abba. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you explain. <laughs> no, go ahead. I mean, I yeah, so Abba is kind of a colloquial Hebrew or Aramaic, I think, term for dad, you know, sort of used kids would call their, 
their father in the home growing up. I, the other things you had in mind to say with that is the main things. Yeah, yeah, good. Kevin. Some of you are old enough to know what it's like to buy a car with just an AM radio in it <laughs> without FM. Remember, that was the big deal in high school was to get an FM radio because it sounded so much better. All that. But I believe the Spirit gives us an awareness of God yeah. where the unsaved people don't. And so, I mean, it isn't always positive because I think with the Spirit in you, you grieve over the sin of the world. You, you know... Yeah. Things like that too, but it's it's there. Right. Right. Where the unbelievers are foolish. Right. Because they don't have the spirit. Right. Yep. That that kind of that blindness, dead dead in their sins sort of thing. Right. Last. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Donna. I like Romans eight twenty six to twenty seven. Yes. Because knowing that the Holy Spirit is, so we we know not what we should pray for as we should. Yes. But the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. Because he searches the hearts and he knows what is the mind of the spirit. Yes. And to know that the words that I say to God are pathetic. <laughs> right. But, God, but the Holy Spirit dresses them up and presents them to the Father. So I know that I can tell God anything in any way and that my Holy Spirit is going to convey it in the right way. Yes. Yes. Well said. Isn't that encouraging, right? So he's Father, and so we know we, we have the right in Christ to come to him. But then there aren't those times. What do I even say? And am I saying the right thing? And these, my words seem short, but then there's God's spirit with me, helping me in my weakness, searching my heart. He knows the heart of God. He knows my heart and interceding on my behalf. Boy, what an encouragement that is. Um, yeah, how many times do we come away from prayer or go to prayer and just, I don't even know what to say, Father, you know, but he knows, he understands and praise God for that. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Can I have a question? Sure. Yeah. I always have questions. We take those. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, you know, you go, well, where is the Holy Spirit? I don't see a shadow. You know, I, I don't see footprints. I don't see fingerprints. But I've come to understand, I believe, that. Sometimes I'll be reading a book or trying to think about something, I have a problem, and, and all of a sudden, the answer comes to me out of nowhere. <laughs> you know? And I'm reading something that I've read a few times, and I didn't, it didn't make any sense, so I'm reading a scripture or a book on science or something, and all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb goes on in my head. <coughs> okay? And, it, and I don't know where it came from, but is that the Holy Spirit? You well, know, I mean, because I don't have the ability to, to make those connections and all of a sudden blink. I've got it. <laughs> so what, if, you know? Right. Yeah, it's really difficult to pinpoint exactly how the Spirit helps us, right? So we know clearly He helps us with the words of Scripture. So I think God's Spirit can bring to mind passages of Scripture that we've memorized in the past and so forth. And then we know He helps us with the fruit of the Spirit, right? So when love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, and self-control show up in my life, I know, oh, that's from God's Spirit. He did that. Beyond that, it gets hard to pinpoint sometimes, doesn't it? And I know that He helps me far more than I realize. (laughs) So, yeah, that's for sure. But good question. 
Uh, well, let's keep going on. We've got a few more minutes left. We've got to at least get through all the blanks, right? So, <laughs> all right, next section is this. I relate to God as Father. So, sort of dovetailing on what we just said, um, Abba, Father. And uh, that's there in Romans um, 8 as well as in Galatians 4. Um, the idea uh, we see again in Galatians 4, I didn't listen to my own encouragement to keep my finger there. So back in Galatians 4, 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So we now relate to God as Father. Now let me just breeze through these. We won't go to all of these passages. I'll put all five of them up here. Um, that count right? Five, yeah, so that you can get those down. So he loves his children. First John 3, 1, Behold, what kind of love is this that God has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? So he loves his children. Uh, he understands his children. Raleigh, this is kind of what you were talking about, but Psalm 103, verses 13 through 15. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As a father pities his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And so he, he knows us, he understands, and he has compassion upon us. He pities us. He cares for us. He takes care of our needs, Matthew six thirty two. So this is the context of... Uh, worrying and the sparrow and which of you by worrying can add you know a length to his stature whatever and so um and so he concludes in 632 by saying well why do you worry about the things the gentiles worry about doesn't your father know that you have need of these things he knows our needs he knows how to care for us and that leads nicely into james 117 he gives his children every good gift James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, right? Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from the Father. Nothing good apart from Him. And then finally, He disciplines His children, which is another act of love, isn't it? Not uh, an act of love that we appreciate as much as we should, um, but still an important act of love. And it's God, it's God as Father, as Romans 12 points out clearly. It's because He loves us that He reaches into our lives and instructs us and helps to um, refine that sin out of our lives. And it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. So, he disciplines us. He's involved. He cares, right? He's not a passive father just kind of letting it go. Well, oh, he'll learn someday. No, he's involved uh, teaching and caring and growing, instructing in our lives. Uh, okay, we'll come back to our discussion question if we have time. Uh, last one here. I am God's child. I am God's child. Now, there are a few uh, things, what I'm thinking about here is sort of then my response. So God does his things. He loves, he disciplines, he so on and so forth. What's expected of me as a child of God, right? How am I to live? So just, just three things I've pointed out here. Um, first, uh, I imitate God. Uh, easiest one to mention here would be Ephesians 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, beloved children, you know, looking up to our Father, seeking to imitate Him. 1 Peter 1, 
14 through 16 also talks about God as our Father and then says, Be ye holy as I am holy. So we look to Him as His holiness and want to imitate Him, want to be like Him. Uh, 1 John 3, 3 references that idea as well. So uh, we're seeking to put on His attributes uh, in our lives. I honor my Father. I honor my Father. So Matthew 5, 16 uh, is uh, the verse about doing good works that they may glorify your Father in heaven. Um, and so the things we do on earth ought to bring honor to God. Let's, I'll read uh, Philippians 2.15 to you. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become uh, blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So the way we live brings honor to the Father. And then finally, we are joined to his family, joined to his family. First Timothy 5 um, talks about how we relate to one another in the body of Christ, older men as fathers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, younger men as brothers, right? And so this is why we refer to each other as brother or sister in Christ. We really, truly are a family adopted by God. And this becomes our foundational family. In fact, the Lord Jesus in Matthew 12, that's the other passage, he's asked, hey, where is your mother and your brothers and sisters? And and Jesus says, well, these here who do the will of God, these are my mother and brother and sisters. Uh, And so the family of God becomes extremely foundational to us, um, which is really, really encouraging. So there we go. We got through all the blanks. We're out of time. Uh, I will close in prayer and uh, thank the Lord for adopting us and may your adoption in Christ be an encouragement to you this week. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. Even as I say that, I I say it too flippantly, without gratitude, you've been so kind to us, Father, to allow us to call you Father, to come into your throne room through the veil of Christ's flesh, unified with your spirit and uh, access to call you Father. We, we praise you and thank you. Keep this on our minds this week, and may we live as dear children seeking to imitate you in our lives and honor you with all that we do and say. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.